0: all right let's do this how are you what the fuckers what the fuck buddies what the fucking ears what the fuck nicks what the fucking that what the fuck the what the fuck will barry what the fuck minister Flores? what the fucking Nux? this is mark Marin this is wtf thank you thank you for coming by thank you for sticking me in your head i appreciate it uh it's a great show today denny tedesco is here denny tedesco how can i explain denny tedesco well, he's the son of Tommy Tedesco. Tommy Tedesco was one of the greatest guitar players in the world, one of the great studio musicians, one of the great Los Angeles studio musicians, a, a, a master. And And most people don't know who he is or who the studio musicians he played with are. They're known as the Wrecking Crew. And Denny... Denny has been working on a film, a documentary about his father and those session musicians: Hal Blaine, the drummer genius; Glenn Campbell, guitar player, to ne- one of dozens, it seems. But he's been working on this film since July 1996. Now, this all this 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 crew of musicians. This was in the 60s, late 50s, almost up until the 70s, maybe a little in the 70s. Can't really remember. But this this film has won awards at dozens of, of festivals. But the problem that Denny's been having since 1996 is the film has over $500,000 in licensing fees and that scared off potential distributors. So, so between donations and a Kickstarter campaign, Tedesco was able to pay off the licensing for the film. He now has a finished cut and he's sharing the film with audiences at screenings and festivals as he tries to get it distributed. It's like a lifetime journey. But uh, that being said, if you live uh, in or around Arkansas, He'll be showing the film at the Fayetteville Roots Music Festival on August 28th. But you, I mean, you. this is one of those movies that just blew my mind when he showed it to me. I mean, these guys, this crew of musicians, I mean, who we, they played behind everyone. The Fifth Dimension, the Association, the Beach Boys, the Birds, uh, the Captain and Tennille, Carpenter, Cher, the Chipmunks, Nat King Cole, Sam Cooke, the Crystals, Bobby Day, the Defenders. Richard Harris, the Righteous Brothers, Elvis Presley, Harry Nelson, Wayne Newton, Ricky Nelson, the Monkees, Dean Martin, the Mamas and the Papas, Gary Lewis and the Playboys, Jan and Dean, Johnny Rivers, oh my God, the Ronettes, they worked with Phil Spector, Simon and Garfunkel, they were on Mrs. Robinson, Frank Sinatra, Nancy Sinatra, Sonny and Cher, I mean, it is insane, the Ventures, they did the Hawaii 5 theme, it's just crazy, and it goes into the whole transition from the uh, the sort of jazz pop age into rock and roll, and the and and the shift uh, of of the focus of the music and how these musicians adjusted to it. It's a brain bending documentary, and it's this it's Denny's life work to honor his father. And he gave me one of his father's solo records, a self uh, release solo record. It's just it's amazing, just amazing. It's amazing talk about an amazing time, about an amazing bunch of musicians that are really like unsung heroes they made the music that that is in our you know that some of it is indelible it's enmeshed in our memories in our in our in our minds forever It, it was fascinating to me moving on into tonight's episode of Marin tonight's episode of Marin is called the joke I directed this episode and I came up with the story for this episode I I don't I don't know if you know exactly how tv writing works but we all break stories together me and the crew of writers and then we break them down we figure them out beat by beat and then someone goes and writes it duncan did a great job with this episode duncan birmingham uh based on the story of uh i go on tv i go on the conan o'brien show i'm doing panel and i'm just talking you know riffing a little bit doing some material and we're just improvising spontaneously and i do a joke And it hits me in that moment that that didn't feel right. And then I get off the Conan and I get home and I realize, like, I don't know if that was my joke. If that line was that my line, because it just came out spontaneously during a little uh, conversation. But it's really a a story. It's one of comedians biggest fears. It's so stigmatized. It's so horrific. The idea of it. It's a real comics uh, episode. About me accidentally doing someone else's line on television. Now, the truth of the matter is, is this happened to me. And it's been sort of stuck in my heart for years. It was repressed for years. The, the events of the day that this happened to me. It was in 1997. I was doing Conan O'Brien. Now, at that time, I, I only did panel. We only did uh, the sit down talk stuff. Now, the reason that I remembered this and the reason why the episode exists is because, well, look, quite honestly, I had repressed this memory completely. And somebody sent me a link or something to a YouTube video of me on Conan. Now, this video is, it was also on my website. All, all the Conans are there. They're still there. So there's a YouTube video of me in 1997. And the, and the top of it, it says, you know, Mark Marin steals from Bill Hicks. And I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. And I watched this video and I'm watching it. And as I'm watching it, my guts just start churning and my heart just drops almost out of my ass. And it was like a wave of horror, as if I were remembering child abuse or molestation. It was this repressed memory where I felt just, you know, filthy and violated and awful and like I had done something horrible. Or something had been done horrible to me. But all the events of that day came back to me. It was, it was really one of the worst days of my life. It was horrific. It was, look, one thing I've never been accused of in my career, and that's being a thief. You know, I've been on Conan 50 times, 50-some odd times. I've put out four or five CDs. I've done specials. I, I am hyper-vigilant to the point where I barely talk about anything else but myself out of fear of, of crossing streams. Now, obviously, there's parallel development. There's parallel thinking If shit happens. We're all drilling from the same pool, but it's every comic's biggest fear to do someone else's joke by accident in any context. And it happens, but it happened on television. And it was one of those things where, man, like when I saw that YouTube thing, I was like, oh, my God and it all came back and I, and I haven't been able to even talk about it but we went ahead and, and based the episode of Marin on it I directed it as I said and I had to get it right I had to get the emotions of it right well what happened in the real event was I go to do Conan now I, I talk to the segment producer Frank Smiley we go over what I'm going to talk about I'm going to do my smoking stuff I'm going to do some other stuff so you kind of lay it out and then I get out there with Conan and I do my shit I'm doing my smoking bit. And then I tag it with this line that I improvised. Yeah. And it just came out of my mouth. Now, at that point, it was one line. You don't want to be one of those people that's, you know, smoking through a trachea hole saying, uh, I still enjoy it. That was the line. You don't want to be one of those people and the emotion is smoking out of a trachea hole. You know, I still enjoy it. And I just done my bit about lungs whistling or whatever. But I did it, and in that moment, I felt like, ooh, I felt something jerk inside of me. So I get done with the set, and I get in the limo, and I'm driving home, and I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. I don't think that's my joke. Now, I didn't know whose it was, but it just didn't feel right. I know it came out of my mouth, and I thought I thought of it in that moment, but it didn't feel right. And I'm in the limo home, and I'm like, this doesn't fucking feel right. And I get home, and I'm like, "I'm, I'm almost positive it's not my joke and you know i freak out i'm like that just came out of me it's not my joke so i call frank smiley the segment producer of conan and i say dude i don't think that one line the trachea hole thing i don't think it's my joke and he's like yeah don't worry about it i'm like no i'm worried about it yeah i don't know whose joke it is but it doesn't feel like it's mine i don't think it's mine i'm gonna do some research and he's like don't worry about it It happens all the time i'm like dude is there any way you can cut it and he's like, you know, I don't think so. Let me check. And I'm like, fuck. So I'm spinning around, you know, I'm living, in, I'm living in New York City with the woman that became my first wife and I'm freaking out. I'm screaming. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I don't know whose joke it is. And I start poking around, you know, other guys who did, you know, who do smoking material. Now, you know, obviously I was a Hicks fan, but I went out of my way not to, uh, to listen to him too much because he did have a contagious sort of cadence. And I, you know, I think he was an influence on me, but, you know, at that point he'd been dead for a few years and, and, you know, whatever was embedded in my head, what, look, I'm poking around trying to figure out whose joke it is. And I come upon the uh, Hicks record. I think I listened to a CD and there's the line. And I'm like, oh my fucking Christ. So now I'm freaking out and completely because it was a complete accident. It happened in an improvised moment, but it happened. It is what it is. So I call Frank Smiley up and I'm like, dude, it, you know, it's a Hicks joke. It's a line that he did. You know, it's one line. Just take it the fuck out. You got to take it out. All right. And he's like, I can't, man. It's too late. And I'm like, God damn it. And I remember hanging up the phone and the woman who became my wife, Kim, is there. And I'm like, I'm fucking finished. And I'm screaming. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? How did this fucking happen? And I'm fucking breaking down. And I start crying in my fucking living room. I'm crying because of this thing, this accident. I did this line. I'm crying. And I'm like, I I have to quit doing comedy. There was nothing I could do. I have to quit doing comedy. She says, that's ridiculous. I'm like, you don't even get it. You don't even get what's happened here. I fucked up. I did some other guy's line. She's like, so and i'm like you don't get it and i'm and i and i just start crying and i didn't know what to do i didn't know how i was going to go out and you know and face other comics i didn't know you know i just i could not it was unfathomable the experience of of how deep and how awful and how fucking ashamed i was about that mistake about that accident 'Cause I didn't do it in my act. It was just stuck in my head somewhere. I liked the joke, I guess, and it popped out, you know, after my smoking bit. Wasn't planned. And I didn't know what to do. And I, I just I had to go on with my life, but I was, you know, I was shattered and, and horrified and and guilty. I uh, so so deeply felt so deeply guilty and ashamed that I did not manage my mind properly and no one said anything you know and i was high i was just completely ready to be taken down for like probably over a year just to be sort of like dude what'd you do you stole a joke i'm like it just never happened no one called me on it and the fact is i didn't steal it it was genuinely an accident it wasn't like i was taking chunks of material it was just this accident it was a line that my brain registered as something i liked at one point and and I tagged with it, and, and you know, and 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 there was no putting it back. It was fucking horrendous. And I've never talked about it, and this is the first time I've even talked about it because this episode is on tonight, and I wanted you to know that it was based on this horrifying, horrifying event in my life that that literally feels worse than any childhood trauma that I may have been through. It, it feels worse, and it, it it still feels horrible that I did that one line by accident in 1997. And I'll tell you, after that, I you know, hyper vigilant, always hyper vigilant. We all are, but the shame is still there. And I think that really this tonight's episode it was sort of an attempt. To to sort of make it a, a, a common experience, at least with other comics, or an exploration of this fear, or exploration of an event that really happened emotionally. But somehow some looking for, I guess, to forgive myself because Jesus Christ, I've had a hell of a career since then. But it just stuck in there because it was it was it was on me. And uh, and that's that's what happened and that's what tonight's episode of Marin is based on. It's called The Joke and uh it was a very important story for me to tell. And this was a very hard thing for me to talk about. <laughs> Even though it's almost 20 years ago, it was one line but it just and it was completely an accident, but it just stuck it stuck in my heart and it was I I tell you man, the the shame of the mistake is still there. Like I should have should have been able to Fucking, you know, just horrifying Yeah, so Patton reaches out to me and he's like uh Patton Oswald he's like, You gotta talk to this guy Danny Tedesco and I'm like I gotta get up to speed, man. Right? You know, it wasn't like it wasn't uh, about you know not wanting to do it. It's just I I had such a limited understanding of what the Wrecking Crew was, and I knew it was these these guys, right. and I know your dad was uh, you know uh, Tommy Tedesco, and and but I had no real uh, you know you got to put it into context, but it really oh, just absolutely. yeah, but it came down to just watching the movie, and and it's oddly I just watched uh, I watched a Muscle Shoals movie. Right. And then I watched your movie because Pat Buckle sent it to me. Right. But there was this constant flow of, you, you got to talk to Denny. You got to talk to Denny. <laughs> it's like, leave me alone. Yeah, was like, all right, all right. I mean, I, I just got to, you know, th- this seems like a big topic.
1: I know. It's like he's dying. He, it's his, you know, it's his bucket wish. Yeah,
0: right, right. But no, but it's, it was sort of like it's, they knew it was up my alley.
1: Right. But I mean, to really to really
0: sort of put it into perspective, you got to watch the fucking
1: movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, it, and the thing is, it's like when uh, Pat was, we were trying to do it, uh, as a live screening too, uh-huh. you know, that's even more fun is when you watch it with a lot of people. But
0: it's just it's it. Well, it's interesting to me that you know just as a kid, you know, you're growing up in this thing. Yeah. So you grew up in, in L.A. Yeah, right with the Valley. Yeah. And and your dad is this like I remember seeing Tommy because I play guitar so like from from as a kid I'm buying guitar player magazine well that exactly right right and and Tommy Tedesco was always on the cover there's always an article about Tommy Tedesco in every fucking guitar magazine yeah and he was one of those repeat guys like you know it was Hendrix Page and you know Tommy Tedesco he was he was always that guy the the jazz you know the session dude yeah and they always I remember pictures of him. But I just had no context, you know? Right. And then you watch this movie and it was funny because I, I talked to this. I can't remember who the hell it was. I said, I was going to talk to you, uh, you know, because of the documentary. Right. And he says, oh, Jesus, did he finish that? <laughs> See, that's the
1: problem I'm having. <laughs> that's the thing, man. I started this 17 years ago. My right. dad my dad was, uh, you know, he basically dad got sick in 95. Yeah. And, it, you know, they gave him like a year. I thought, oh, I better jump on this. Yeah. And. My concern was it was going to be my biggest regret in life is not doing that, you know, yeah. telling his story as well as the others. So I started it, and that was 17 years ago. Right, because there's all this video footage that clearly I was like, is this historical footage? It you that- shoot, this, was, <laughs> this was shot on like Betamax. Three <laughs> the, quarter. Yeah. I had three quarter. I had every format except uh, IMAX in this film. Yeah. I mean, I was three quarter inch it's video, got all I had this- eight millimeters. But that footage? How about that eight millimeter footage from the nineteen fifties? My mom shot that. Yeah. Oh, really? Nineteen fifty-two. With you dancing around in those party scenes. No, 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 I'm not that old. No, Uh, my dad uh, in that band, the first band he ever played with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's bizarre. Well,
0: well, well. Let's frame it up. So you know, we sort of we, we sort of move through it. I mean, when you were a kid. You know what did you know about your father? I mean, like it was, he, he was—he just a, a guy that he was a. Because the, the interesting thing about the film is that in all of them, yeah, Hal Blaine, your father, and you know, I don't, I, I don't have the name,
1: Carol K. Johnson.
0: Yeah, all yeah. those guys—they were working for a living. Yeah, that the the pr- there was no pride invested in the fact that they are on more hit records. Right. than, than and we'll go through the list yeah. if you have it in yeah. the top of your head that this group of studio musicians was on. So many hit records, you know, from the 50s all the way right. up through the 60s yeah. that no one knew about, but their
1: pride level was sort of like, I don't give a shit. We were making Ex- money. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you you nailed it. It's like my dad, you know, he's coming out, you know, these guys are now, they're in their early 80s, so they're yeah. coming out of World War II as teenagers. Yeah. So they're, you know, depression kids. They're, my God, my dad's getting paid to play guitar. Yeah. You know, he was happy as can be. Yeah. You know, so- you know they were you know you asked me what it was like growing up as a kid you know dad was dad yeah it wasn't a good you know i didn't see my dad play guitar at home until the 70s and really I'm, and i'm born in 61
0: so they had this sort of working class mentality exactly. around being a musician they all had their cabaret cards and they all were in the right. union yeah and they would show up for work so what were like because the let's start sort of at the beginning yeah. The we're what, what what record
1: label were they all at was it oh, all capital were different. they were different see what no they were all different because what happened is in it was basically the wrecking crew i mean it's a term that's loosely used um these guys got the the name much later but these guys are let's say in the rock and roll at the beginning early 60s yeah late 50s rock and roll is really not a commodity that everybody's right. you know really into right labels yeah so what they did is and they, we only had one track in those rec- recording studios so they would didn't trust the recording groups to make these things because they didn't want to spend money on studio time right so they would put these studio musicians in to take the place of bands or record with the singers whatever and they knock it out so what happened is all these different labels it was after uh the studio system when they used to be like certain guys were with on contract with let's say NBC right. or whatever it was after that okay so they're freelancers as band members Whatever you want to call them, yeah, Yeah, they're they're not a set band, right? That's the thing. But what would
0: a musician be doing under contract for NBC? Uh, Orchestras, right? You know the shows, and and
1: back then, popular
0: music was orchestras, yeah. Like you know, it was coming out of like you know, big band. Exactly, and, and, and like you know, any you know, TV's
1: starting up at that point sure, too.
0: Sure, sure, right. So they had theme music, and they had Radio, that background right. music, and they. But it was always a big group back then. Like if yeah. you were in a band, even just for to show up for a dance thing, right. there was Twenty guys. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that so that system breaks down. So you got all right. these freelance musicians yeah. around, and so the studios or the labels would contract out.
1: Yeah, basically, a guy, a producer, would get a job. You know, he say, "Hey, you got a new this guy, this act. We're going to go cut a single." So it's all singles business again. At but that this point. is
0: back in the days, you know, of Sinatra, Nat King Cole. Like, yeah, you know, early
1: sixties, late fifties, right. So there's no. Well, real those guys, I'm sure, had bigger, you know,
0: bigger bands. Yeah. But it seemed like early on, your father and the, and the people that were involved in what became known as the Wrecking Crew, you know, pop music was more jazz based.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now rock and roll starting to, see, you know, leak in. Now what's going on there is how these guys are getting their breaks. Because my dad in at six, nineteen sixties, thirty, he's still kind of moving into this. Yeah. Rock and roll, the older guys aren't going to take it. Yeah. Not because they're, some of them, yeah, it's, it's bullshit it's music. It's a pride it. thing. It's a pride thing, but also it's probably, it could have been non-union. Yeah. It could have been a, a demo date. Yeah. It could have been, you know, low scale, whatever. But the new guys, they're going to take a chance, like all of us. We always take that chance and get in the gig. Yeah. Well, once they got the gig and once they became hits, like Phil Spector hits, it's over. Now yeah. they're in. They're, they're first chair now in that group. Right, but but also it
0: seemed to me that in listening to them, and I don't want to get too yeah, ahead yeah. of the game, was that was that they not they didn't necessarily think they were in. No, yeah. no, no, no. You but, never. You right. All so, of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Is that well? So where did your father come from originally? Niagara Falls, New York. Niagara Falls. Yeah. Have you been there lately? <laughs>
1: oh, please.
0: You have people there still.
1: I hope so. <laughs> I hope they're still listening. <laughs> but do you have canal. family still there? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's rough. It's rough, dude. I, like it's, I, I it's,
0: performed there recently. That town, the American side of oh, Niagara it's, Falls, it's, it's, it's depressing. Yeah. Like I did a joke about oh. it. I said, you know, by the time you get through that town, you hope the falls
1: lives up to what it's supposed to do. Cause oh, absolutely. You, you got to fight the urge to jump over the fucking edge. Oh no, I, it's it's I got, folks in Niagara Falls. You know, I love you, but we all know. The problem is, you know, when the f- in my parents, both of them, they grew up and they went to Niagara Falls High School. They met in high school, my uh-huh. mom and dad. Uh-huh. That was in the 40s. It was popping, hopping there. Oh, I mean, everything was like great. boom, boom, yeah, yeah. boom, boom. The hotels, oh, everything. Oh, yeah, and, you know, and it was like, but the problem was the industry, uh, you know, corrupt politicians. I mean, they're yeah. everywhere, but yeah. these guys were good at it. Mm-hmm. You know, they decided to destroy everything downtown. We're going to re, you know. I can't. What's revitalized? I can't remember the term. Well, they never rebuilt, mm-hmm. and then the companies with all these chemical companies just polluted the land. I want in, but if you look across the river, you see Canadian side, and it's like hopping. It, it looks like little Vegas. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to do a documentary. The honeymoon's over. <laughs> you know.
0: So, but your father was on the GI Bill. Did he go to yeah. war? Well,
1: no, <laughs> no, he was. He was a. Uh, uh, well, he he was drafted, but uh, they were him and his friends. Now you got to realize. Niagara Falls is a bunch of Italians. And um fortunately for them they got all uh sent to uh Niagara Falls. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> they right. were basically. Yeah. yeah. And um it was uh it was like oh, not Phil Spector, um Phil Silvers. Yeah. They called it it was just like that. Sergeant Bilko. Sergeant Bilko. Yeah. I mean, they they were just connivers, (laughs) anything to get out of
0: work. But it seemed to me that from the documentary that your father came to guitar late in life as well. Yeah,
1: well, well, he, that was, I asked, my mom and I were back east a few months ago in Buffalo. They were honoring him at the museum. And I asked her, and the first time I I said, what happened was they went to a prom, like Mm -hmm. a senior prom in college or something. They were invited to a prom, and my dad went, and uh, my mom, and, Someone said to him, "Hey, the big band, the Ralph Martiri band's losing their guitar player." And someone said, "I know a guitar player. I recommended you. Do you want to?" T-? They said, "We'll have him try out after the dance." And he tried out, and the next thing you know, the next day, he's driving to New York, driving across country with his big band. Yeah. Now, and he gets to Dallas. Whose big band was uh, it? It was a Ralph Marteri. Was- okay. Big at the time, yeah. So he, you know, he's going from little town Niagara Falls. Now he's going cross country. He's doing the Hoagy Carmichael show in, at the Palladium in Hollywood, and doing all this stuff. And then he, they're going to Dallas, and all of a sudden he gets fired with uh, the lead singer um, because they, he Ralph Martiri found someone that could play guitar and sing. Oh. so he knocked out a guy. You know, yeah, part yeah, of yeah. his you know salary. Yeah. So my father, being a you know small town, you know what's like is. I don't want to stay here. You he went and got my mom and moved to l a. That was that, that what, was it what year fifty three. But my question to my mom, I said, did Dad work a lot? I thought, you know, was he working clubs and jazz days? Yeah. She said, no. She says he had maybe a casual, you know, once a couple of weeks, maybe twice a month, the most. Yeah. yeah, she says he almost didn't go to the dance because. He and his trio got a gig in Phil- in uh, Pennsylvania uh-huh. for a weekend. Uh-huh. And he said, I'm not going to the dance. I got a job. And she says, you got to go to the dance. I've spent $35 on this dress. So that dress for $35 changed m- my life. If he didn't show up for that dance, yeah. he would never have the chance to be a guitar player. That's, so, isn't that bizarre? All right, so he comes out here, like you know. I just, I'm, I, it's
0: like with these type of, uh, of interviews, like it's such a, a broad swath of, yeah. of of history. So you know, Tommy didesco. He comes in, he comes out to L.A. So I thought what was great about the documentary is that they were all very clear that at some point everyone was going to come out here. Yeah, that this is where music was. This yeah. is where it was done. You know, it was, it was leaving New York, the yeah. real Building. That shit was over. Yeah, and it was all coming out here. So all the great players were. Moving, everyone was moving here the to the make a break. Yeah. Yeah, so these guys, your father, you know, he didn't know any
1: of these guys. No, you
0: know, so when did that start? How does that start? Well, what
1: happens is like, all, like you, you know, like you guys, you yeah, know, you start hanging out at the clubs, right? You know, you start meeting people, and that's what he would do. They would do jam sessions, sit in. You know, at first he thought, oh, just put in a resume for right. a studio musician. You don't yeah. do that, right? No one gets a job that way. Yeah. That's what it was. You just sit in, and someone would say, hey, man, can you sub for me next week? Like Peggy Lee, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know or whoever was you know like Howard Roberts gave my dad a break with Peggy Lee Howard was a phenomenal jazz guy and he said hey can you sub for me yeah now my dad subbing for Howard was like he was shitting bricks yeah because Howard's like the guy the king of chords and you know he's a guitar player's guitar player right so he always told the stories once so when I'm playing with Peggy Lee he says I start playing and we're playing in about a minute in she goes hey who are you and thinking oh god I'm sh- I'm in shit yeah and she says, "I like him, yeah. you know, because what he was doing is plain simple. Yeah, because <laughs> he could not played the shit that Howard could do, <laughs> you know. But it was that kind of like you kind of break in. So when when he started, uh, well,
0: w- w- so where does he meet? Who? How does this crew you know come together? I know they all just work together, but they you-
1: start slowly. I think Phil Spector."
0: Is that where it really started to define itself? Like early on, yeah. like he did Peggy Lee sessions. What other yeah. sessions did he do? Uh,
1: Well, in those days, early 60, uh, early 60s, you had the Phil Spector dates. Um, I mean, the Chipmunks in the late yeah. 50s. He did, did the Chipmunks? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, was anything, that, you know, singers, you know, any singers at the time that were doing, like Bobby Darin. Yeah. Uh, We did Wade Newton, but that's a little later. You know, Don Cachene and all that stuff. He's on those. Yeah. Is and, he on Mac the Knife? No. Oh. No, I think that's New York. Oh, okay. But like, it, it, so he was just showing up for these gigs and they put together the band. And yeah. you know, th- well the contractor puts together the band. Basically, the producer says, so he's got the, the, producer's got the job. Hey, you know, Bobby Darin hires someone. He hires a contractor and says, okay, you know, he calls Hal or Earl Palmer or whoever. And then, you know, starts putting the rhythm section together. Whoever's requesting. Right. And then he just, you know, they all show up. They don't know who's on the date. Well but it's interesting cuz it was all done you know by reading and by you know
0: by these were just you know go to guys they were professional players they didn't necessarily yes. operate as a unit not at all but but, but they over, worked
1: so much it
0: felt like a unit oh, but over time yeah. they did develop a rapport like Absolutely. they uh, because you can't you know have that kind of connection like the bass player Carol is her name yeah Carol K what an interesting fucking person yeah i mean and it, it was interesting to me that like y- you don't get you know, you got a little backstory. Obviously, your father, yeah, and of of how, yeah, in terms of you know what ultimately happened to them. Yeah. But you know, she suggested a past where it's sort of like, where's the rest
1: of that story? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's some deep shit there. <laughs> there is, yeah. and it, it, Phenomenal. The fact that she starts off as a guitar player, but that's it. And also, she's a woman. Yeah. Well, and that's it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and and the fact was that that also that in her story
1: you know there were a lot of women musicians in in the big band a bit. There was in a, the big band right the, you know the string players and yeah. this and that but not in in those in the, like you say the jazz thing there were some guitar players like Mary Ford and all yeah. those people but in her position as a well becomes a bass player what's extraordinary to me and this was where I give all of them credit for yeah. Carol. Carol's in a, when they so let's say the if you're gonna put a group together, yeah. let's say a week you got a weak rock and roll band. Right. All right. The first one that goes is gonna be the either the drummer and the bass player. Right. Because they gotta keep the band going. Right, right, right. So for Carol to be in that group, let's say whatever, to replace someone, yeah. She's not there. She's not a tambourine player, she's not a percussion player, she is driving the band. Yeah. As well as the drummer. Right. And that's where i go that's why she's there as a musician they didn't look at her as a woman they looked yeah. at her as a bass player first and yeah you know so i give them all credit for that they yeah. gave her a lot of shit yeah but she gave it back
0: right and also when she's just riffing like you know when you see like you see like however old hal was yeah uh, uh you know on drums right you know uh and and then when she picks up a bass and what was that bass line she played that oh, she came um, up with uh
1: well she came up with uh uh, wichita lyman that opening with which is right gorgeous yeah yeah, yeah. and the,
0: and that they had this this capacity beat goes on
1: yeah and the beat goes on yeah.
0: to improvise you know and they they all sort of knew each other because I, I realized that with the muscle shoals uh, guys too but they were a tighter unit right but you know that the core group with you know hal and carol and your father and, and glenn campbell glenn campbell leon russell leon russell
1: um I'm know, don Ran- yeah don randy i mean they're just who was that other guitar player the character Al yeah. Casey, yeah, it is it was Al Casey? Bill, oh, Bill Pittman. yeah, Bill Pittman. They called him King Salt. <laughs> yeah, why? Because he was so rah, 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 rah. he's he, salty. Yeah, yeah. And, and Hal would say about him was, you know, the greatest thing was, um he didn't like anything. Yeah, he was a true old guy, jazz like a, guy, j- jazz guy, true yeah. old jazz guy that really hated rock and roll. And they, you know, he would say shit off, cam- like no, off camera. He'd be in the studio and he open up the music and go goddamn same old shit yeah and and how was it bill the mics are on shut up <laughs> it's like dude and the thing is he was very honest but unfortunately sometimes too honest yeah you know and you know what you're talking about is no different than the comedians you go to work if they're going to give you the lines yeah all right that's fine do you want me to improvise yeah I'll, let's improvise first if you don't like it we'll go back to the line and yeah. that's what my dad did yeah he says i play for smiles yeah if the, you know i'm going to give him what i think is right if he yeah. doesn't like it fine let's do do what you think right right it could be wrong i think it's stupid right but i'll do it I'm getting yeah. paid.
0: It's also fascinating to to just realize that because this is it's 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 new to me in in the nuances of it. You know, obviously I always knew there were studio musicians, but when you really right. see like yeah, you know, the Wrecking Crew or the Muscle Shoals guys that like they were the they were the ones that made the hits. Yeah. That it wasn't like even the 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 Phil Spector stuff. I mean, when when you show when uh, some of the footage of them working on that, yeah. when there's like 50 people in the fucking studio.
1: Yeah. And they're there. Like and and Phil Spector would work them till they were exhausted, right? Just n- and, basically, and, and and some of the guys were you know would get pissy, yeah, you know and. And my father said, "I don't give a shit. As long as you keep paying, I'm going to stay here." <laughs> I love that. That's the angle that you, because we all have so much invested in the personalities of
0: rock and roll. You know, like because yeah. I grew up with it. Yeah, so, exactly. So you know, you 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 invest in the personality, of the performer, the guitar player of like you know, like oh that lead, this yeah, lead, right. and that lead, and then all of a sudden you find out like, holy shit, the Beach Boys didn't do anything.
1: Yeah, you know well, the they, birds. Yeah, right.
0: You know the birds didn't. Do, well, they well did, the they, birds you
1: know, did the they didn't do the first one, the Mister Tambourine Man. Right. And That was again. That was the culture of rock and roll, not rock and roll, but uh, music, record music right. in the record business. Right. And what happened there was Terry Melcher, who was uh, Doris Day's son, was the producer and he did um, whatever. Also famous in the Manson story. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, I yeah. think
0: wh- where was it? was, was his uh,
1: house. Where Sharon was killed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so. Um, is he still ter- around? No, he passed, which is a drag. You know, there's a few of those people that I spoke to but never got to before they passed. Uh-huh. It was a drag. But he, um, he was hired by Columbia to do this group, Birds, and he said, all right, fine, but I'm bringing my guys in. Right. And they were all pissed off, the birds. He said, well, I'll use um, Roger McGuinn because he can play guitar and yeah. he can sing, so it'll be a somewhat of the birds. And you guys just sing in the background. So all the guys were pissed off. They don't show up. So he's got Hal Blaine on drums, uh, Bill Pittman, King Salt, uh, Leon Russell on piano, and I want to say Larry Nectal was on bass, and Jerry Cole, another guy and they knock it out and like Roger McGuinn said he said we did the A side and the B side in 3 hours. Yeah. He says when I got to when we did turn 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 with the actual Birds group it took 77 takes. Yeah. <laughs> Still a number one hit. Yeah. But it's just but it was Terry, efficiency. It's efficiency, but Terry said if we don't get a hit, we don't get another chance. And if I'm going to go in there and it's like a budget again, we're back to, you know, what it is. It's a reality a budget. There's, and my father always said, hey, you got music and you got the music business. Sometimes they mix. Not always. Well, you know, you, your relationship with your father, obviously, you, you, know, had a, you had a
0: lot of time with him. Yeah. And, you know, you went into, uh, into movies and television. That was your yeah. thing. But early on, as a kid, do, did you go down to the
1: sessions? Did you? No. Never? Uh, was, was, re- you no, know, occasionally. The, the earliest session I remember was Green Acres. And the only reason I remember that day, it was like one of those (laughs) (laughs) that's it. And the reason I remember it was because I I think it was like five Mm -hmm. and we were going on vacation or something. And so we all went to the studio and dad, we we were all going to leave after that. Mm -hmm. You know, dad was going to do his gig when we leave. And I just remember Vic Mizzy, the wonderful composer, you know, you know, conducting Throwing his hands and hips up and all that. And I just remember laughing because that's the funniest thing to see a grown man throw his arms up, not yeah. knowing he's conducting. Yeah, yeah. But that was the earliest. But I asked my mom the same question when I said, when you guys were, you know, again, before kids or yeah. before us, uh, I said, did dad take you? Did you ever go to club dates with mom or with dad? She said, no. Dad always said a plumber doesn't take his wife to work.
0: <laughs> so that's how we, it's interesting because they, they all thought that way.
1: Yeah, that, I like, mean, they, they knew. knew they weren't the
0: stars, and they knew that they were the, the they were the, they had the, be the players, and they really
1: looked at it as a as a as an occupation. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, but occupy uh, uh, they were fort- they knew they were fortunate, and they loved what they did. Right, right, but still,
0: it was this uh, this idea because like usually with creative people, as you know and I know, yeah. And I think this is indicated in the documentary at the time the business changed, where, where some sort of notion of authenticity was needed yeah. in order to market the music. In and, and I think you sort of suggest in the documentary that Towards the, end. the monkeys were the last bit of that shit. Yeah. That 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 when the, the controversy around the monkeys being a band or not being a band right. sort of broke, that the, the market became different because the, the, the kids demanded that their right. musicians play their instruments.
1: Yeah, and I think the musicians themselves themselves like it's funny because i uh, interviewed um uh mickey no no oh. i love mickey and, but mickey was his point was he didn't understand the controversy because he felt i'm an actor yeah. what yeah, controversy yeah. it's a tv show and he had to take drum lessons just yeah. to be passable he, yeah yeah he was like so for him it's like and his point was if they had put the musicians names on those records there would have been no problem it would have been fine yeah I think what happened was there was a backlash against the monkeys, not so much from the public, but internally, I think from the music community, of bands that aren't getting a chance. I'm, you know, that was what I felt from him. Because now you got the monkeys being forced down record stores' right. throats. You got to right. put this up on the you know, on the. You're, you're right. taking shelf space away right. from someone. Right. So now they got this huge thing, the train driving, and they call the monkeys TV show. Right. Nobody else has that. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean. Yeah, right. So
0: that some artists felt ripped off yeah. in, in the way of like sort of like why are they get in the shot exactly. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting too that you, 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 in being sort of someone who doesn't live in that business and noticing this in your documentary and also the Muscle Shoals documentary is that you had these producers, you had these guys who were A and R guys, you had these, um, these yeah studio execs that were like they when you talk about hits like I don't even you know, my brain doesn't even work that way. It's like well that's a great album and that like I know that what a hit is, but really on the business side of it is like. Yeah. <laughs> we need at least two hits on this fucking record. Right. Like, they knew which ones were gonna be the hits and it's almost like the rest of the album was like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But if we get one hit and when there's It'll... only like four labels in the world exactly. and they had all the radio stations, yeah. that was millions and millions of dollars. You're right. So those guys, you know, some of them had a sense of it. You know, you got Clive Davis, you got Jerry yeah. Wexler, you got the you know, some of the guys that your, your old man work with. Yeah. But these guys were hit makers from that end. They didn't, they weren't
1: musicians. No. But their sensibility was like, this is it. And they knew- they knew how to market uh-huh and they knew how to uh you know and that's the thing is, you go people you know you compare the business now to then and you can't compare it's like apples and oranges um those days like you said something was just there were only a few radio stations right you know and the, you look back when we we're growing up yeah you go 50 years back in terms of uh Let's say sixty-five. You go fifty years back in terms of music. There's nothing, yeah, recorded that we could say that's you know we're listening to as kids. You go now, our kids are listening to the Beach Boys mm-hmm. from 50, 60s all the way up to now. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of material. Yep, and for a hit to make it now is almost impossible compared to those days because you had limited music limited output in terms of outlets right right and also it was like it, it, it was huge money
0: dude oh, i mean yeah. even like you know with ask with the ascap uh, you, you know yeah. uh, coming back and the publishing and stuff that that like it always fascinates me because i got a buddy who's in the music business that you know the the the, the amount of money that could be made you know for different people right. in that world was astounding yeah it seems like it was uh, it was Phil Spector, the Beach Boys, you know the Birds a bit, the then, Jan and Dean, yeah, Jan and Dean, then G- yeah. then Glenn Campbell yeah. as a you know, as a guitar player yeah. and as part of the crew, and then yeah. his solo career, and then uh, and then you get into um, Mamas and Papas, that folk right? thing, and oh the Herb Albert thing that was oh, the yeah. thing yeah Herb yeah that Herb was fucking huge huge that you know that that whole world of that that instrumental thing yeah. that that type of pop music yeah. which is almost not around anymore, yeah. but you know he went on to become. Um, A huge. uh uh, He
1: owned a label, didn't he? A and M. Yeah. Him and Jerry Moss started A and M. And your dad was part of that whole thing. Yeah, they were. You know, it's the, you know, uh, you know, one single. What was it? Well, the first. Yeah, that's. uh I always get these all mixed up. Your taste of honey. Taste of honey. Yeah. Then there's Spanish Flea, and there was a lonely bull. Those were huge. Huge not in my life right but, you're much younger
0: uh, right but yeah. now so when you're sort of assessing this like you know at what stage in your career and in your life did it become sort of this 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 thing this this you i mean it seems to me that with this documentary despite the fact that you're working on it, the production and right. everything else that this was a a a project of the heart
1: and 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 you felt a labor of love a labor of love i love that yeah, which means it's it's such a wonderful line because it means no one else helped. <laughs> That's yeah. what
0: it means. But but also the, your compulsion no, I
1: mean, was
0: was you, you know you you know, what were your feelings about your father at the time when it's you did decided? It's a great question.
1: It's a great question. Um, it's very interesting because you know people think oh yeah you must have been really close to your father. We were very close, but we fought like motherfuckers. Yeah, you know we, you know like any about father what? son anything anything it could have been music it could have been he would push my button like no one like a father would you're the oldest no I have an older brother uh huh But Wait, there was, did he get
0: off the hook that guy
1: uh yeah kind of because he was you know 10 years <laughs> out and that's another story but we were so close but he knew um as a father son we were each other's greatest heroes mhm and also greatest critics he couldn't have been judgmental of your career choice no no not at all very yeah. supportive yeah very very supportive it was little it was petty bullshit so when he was sick How, what, it, what happened he had lung cancer yeah And it's, but if you look in the film every picture there's a cigarette yeah sure when you're a guitar player and yeah. you have a bad reputation yeah. of being a smoker yeah you know you're bad yeah you know there was they knew where to, tommy was here right because yeah. the studio was filled with guitar butts he would constantly three cigarette packs a bucks? day yeah. cigarette. he didn't drink he didn't do drugs mm-hmm. he didn't like that because he didn't like being out of control mm-hmm. he was a freak and i asked my mom about that too i said and she said well dad was always paranoid about literally um getting arrested and being he had claustrophobia so his fear biggest fear in life was going to be in god help him in a
0: Jail, jail sale, jails. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he
1: would never drink and drive. Yeah, it was freaky. He didn't drink at all. He drank when he got home, or yeah, yeah. drink here and there, but yeah. not, you know. Yeah. Um. But it was, but when he when he got sick, I yeah. thought, all right, that's it, bullshit done. You know, no more, you know, no more uh, fighting on your side, on my side. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even him. I think we all came to you know, and I had done a a, a project, small project with a, a buddy of mine about him, which is where that footage of him in the seminar. Yeah. That's where that's from, in the early 80s, mm-hmm. at uh, Musicians Institute, and Zappa comes from that. that. That Zappa bit's great. And that Zappa line, for those, well uh, might as well spill it here, is the Zappa line, I took him the, pic, uh, the piece of my dad in the gong show. Yeah. My dad was in the On gong the drag- show. For those, in a dress. After his career was over. Right. So what that came about was a running gag in town that... Natami would do this uh, thing called Requiem for a Studio Guitar Player. Yeah, and he did it when he was every year was winning the Naris Award for Guitar Player. Yeah. and then all of a sudden, Larry Carlton won. Yeah, so that when they gave Larry the award, yeah, he did a skit with Larry. He said, you know, yeah. in the fifties I was something, sixties I was a king, seventies rolled out round. I'll do just about anything. Uh huh. So I went to Zappa with that piece, and I thought Zappa was going to be like, you know, funny. Zappa's yes. not funny. He's, He's not. He's intense, serious dude. And I didn't realize that because I didn't obviously know Zappa. But when he said those lines, what he gave me, it was oh, it was whatever. It was not good. But thirty years later, it was like Frank was given that to me for thirty years later. What was the line again? Do you remember? Um, he said um basically when my he says you know what, Tommy's put up with a lot of shit in this business. So look past the costume and think about blah blah blah. Whatever yeah, it was, yeah. it was kind of like the end of a career, even though it wasn't really the end of my dad's career because he went on for another twenty years yeah. doing movies and stuff. But it fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah, and it was weird because
0: it was just one. It was like like Is a that, minute. Yeah, it's like thirty if that. I didn't. Even but remember, you it, shot that because I yeah. couldn't tell where that was from. I was like, did he you just you picked that up? It was just no. you saw
1: him out. and You went up to the house or what? Yeah, I went to Frank's house where it was on Benedict or whatever it was, and still there. Yeah. And it's still there, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And I in just, that basement studio? Yeah. hmm And I remember going in there, and Frank was like, uh, is your dad coming? Because um, he was very shy, Frank. He yeah. was very quiet. I said, uh, sure. And it, let me call him, make sure he's on his way, because he wasn't coming. So I yeah. said, Dad, you got to get out of here now. Uh-huh. You know, it's before cell phones. Uh-huh. And so we waited, and Frank's like working in the studio with like two notes on back and forth with reel to reel. going. Yeah what the hell's he doing? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. He was intense. Yeah. did So Tommy showed up? Yeah. And And they were good friends. They were. They were actually very... I have a great bootleg tape. When I say bootleg, it was something that was recorded in a little uh, uh, Silmar, California. My dad would do this... um, uh, jam session, like mm-hmm. once every Wednesday would be Couture out in night. the desert. No, no, that, Selmar, Selmar, yeah, the valley. Yeah, it was his friend had an Italian restaurant, yeah. so he would go there. He'd bring guys in. Yeah, you know, sometimes it was Joe Pass, sometimes it was you know, Steve Lukather, yeah. whoever was playing or that guy. Yeah. So one night it was Joe Pass and Frank Zappa and himself. They yes. just came together and. And Frank playing jazz with yeah. with uh, he was a monster guitar yeah, player. Dude. Yeah, Zappa was. Yeah, but he but he wasn't a jazz player right, like right. compared to Joe Pass. Sure, sure. And so the, Joe's like, oh, what the fuck? Is he playing? <laughs> yeah. he said, but it was good. It was the those that was the, the relationship again is, they respected each other as musicians exactly because you know Frank was a bit of a control freak and you know right. And my father respected Frank. You know, he did the Lumpy Gravy album. He did. Yeah. And that was the first time he met Frank. Well, the first time he knew he met Frank. Frank, Frank brought had, him in as a session player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Frank brought everybody in. And there's a great outtake of uh, Emil Richards, a great vibe is pl- talking about. it. Everybody thought, what is this guy doing? Yeah. And then my father looked at the music and was, holy shit. Yeah. Because it was going to be hard. It yeah. wasn't bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So he had it you know, it's like, because my dad comes dressed up as a Boy Scout. <laughs> right. thinking he's going to, you He'd know. be a clown. Clown. And, so, yeah. and it's like, oh, great. He's yeah, like, got to learn some. yeah. <laughs> you know so that's what he had to do he was a constant <laughs> joker and that one backfired yeah I mean. yeah he thought like yeah. you're gonna walk through this yeah and and frank had the notes like no uh, exactly out. yeah it, and him and amel richards the vibus yeah. they had a contest like who's gonna get through this faster let's speed it up and they kept going
0: well it's interesting when you when you listen to some of that zappa stuff how like elaborate and beyond structure it necessarily was but you know it was orchestrated
1: to yeah. the note Absolutely, and that's where the fight was started. Was like from a French horn player or something. It was like this is a bunch of shit. And then amos said, you know, just try playing it. Let's go. Yeah, you know. And and did what? What was
0: the feeling? Did they feel that the the piece was like astounding or no? I I don't think one way or
1: another. Oh really? You know, again, tough gig. Yeah, it's one of those like you know, it's not my dad's cup of tea. He doesn't give a shit. But they remain friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of respect. Yeah, and, very I much that, so. and I think and I think, and they know, were both Italian. Not, yeah, and they from... were both uh, non bullshitters. Yeah, yeah, they, just, they didn't bullshit. But you, but your feeling was that I when your father to, got sick, I wanted to make sure. I, I think maybe deep down, maybe I didn't want him to go. Sure, of course. You know, so. maybe that's why I just kept going. Maybe that's why I haven't finished this, Doc. Doc, <laughs> you don't consider it finished yet. It's out. well, no, it's here's no. Here's what we should make sh- sure everybody knows: it's not out. <laughs> It's not out, by the way. I
0: got it, in it looked like it was No, no, no,
1: no. What's happened was, all right, so 1996, I start this, I like to say 17 years ago, 17 years younger and uh, 35 pounds lighter. Uh Basically, when I started in 96, Dad got sick, all right? He passes away in 97, and right after he passed, I put together a nice 14-minute teaser reel. I got Nancy Sinatra. I got Cher in it at this point. I got everybody going, but no one would touch this damn thing because the music and they all said the licensing, the licensing. They said, you got, oh my
0: God, I didn't even think about no, that. Yeah.
1: At that point, I, you know, now the film's got 120 songs in it. And, 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 and what 90 of them are hits. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. 98%. Exactly. Yeah. So I said, to I, so I kept going to everybody. So you're never going to get the labels and the publishers to agree on this. It's impossible. Yeah. Well, I had to keep shooting and go on and carry on. You have to have the music. Right. You yeah. can't tell the story without it. Right. So, I, you know, you could talk about it. Well, it was going to be a shit documentary. Right. So I kept going and no one would ever jump in. Finally, in 2006, I always talk about crossing that line where you went too far and, um, my wife thought we just made the most expensive home movie ever. Yeah. You know, it was like, in, you know. How much are you into it for? Oh, at that point, a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. You know, and now, God, I don't even, I cringe. Because yeah. yeah. I look at, you know, it's my house. Yeah. And um, so we said, all right, let's make the one jump. Let's yeah. go for it. We got to get an editor, a producer slash. And so I got Claire Scanlon, who was my editor. And um, we cut this thing. Yeah. In 2008, we got into the film festivals. Yeah. Did it remarkably, remarkably well. Yeah, excuse if easier for us, I could say, but won a lot of awards and no How'd one, d- no one would touch it. But I got, couldn't distribute it. I, but I you could distribute. show it. I could show it, but I paid for the you know festival use. Yeah. So then no one would touch it, and I went back. and then one of the labels, a publisher, says, "Danny, you got to renegotiate. Let's do it again. Let's yeah. get it lower. Let's try to get it because no one's going to touch it." So I went back everybody came on there was one maybe putz that was giving me a problem but publisher yeah 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 and but everybody else was cool they were yeah everybody's really into it and then i had to go back renegotiate took two years to get everybody signed off on this and while just give it to you no 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 i'm paying oh really oh yeah i'm still paying i'm not asking for free yeah i love for free but no one no no i'm still paying i just needed to come back at a, a, a more because nego- I have hundred and everybody's on most favorite nation. So if one guy's gonna be a jerk, every you know, then I gotta pay everybody. But the, but see this this is what baffles me about that, is that you know, this is a historical document
0: right of, of, of their business. music yeah. and their business. Yeah. And if anything yeah. W- would sell some records. You know, because yeah, like,
1: you sure. know.
0: <laughs> so, I know, I agree he, in with In my you. mind, it's like, oh, I'm going to go revisit Glenn Campbell. I never yeah. bought Glenn Campbell in my life. He, he, and now, like, i got to listen to Glenn Campbell. I know,
1: I, I've done that. But then, a lot of people that. do that. No, because the guy I'm dealing with is the guy that barely has a job still in this business. Right. You Brian, know, you he, know what I mean? He's he, a department that's sort of like, he, give him that job he, in the, he, the publishing. Yeah, he, or or, or uh, he might be the licensing guy, but, licensing but that person, guy. he or she, you know, I call back four months later; they're gone because yeah, you know yeah, they've yeah, yeah, cut yeah. loose. So right. it's been that kind of a right. Uh, so once I get everybody signed, and I've been paying as we go along. So I have people were making donations through a you know IDA, and I would do these fundraising screenings, and and sooner or later I paid it off. Yeah. And the last one was Kickstarter, which was a couple months ago. There was one huge bill. Yeah, I needed, which was the musicians' union. Yeah. And I needed to pay these contracts, and I wanted to pay those contracts. for? For what? Because they call it reuse. Yeah. If you're going to use these songs in yeah. a movie, you got to pay the musicians again, which is fine. So you
0: got to pay the licensing fee for the Mas- publishing.
1: Masters of Publishing and the Musicians' Union. Okay. This is one of the biggest Musicians' Union contracts ever, any film, because there's a- over... <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't 120 want... 120 hit songs. As much as they wanted... You know, They gave me a great deal, but yeah. as much as they wanted... You know the money. No one wanted to do the work, so that was a long negotiation. Whatever, but we got Kickstarter finally came in. I had to go. I needed like three hundred fifty thousand yeah. to really do everything. Yeah, and I reached for two fifty and got three hundred. Yeah. So we paid off the musicians union. Okay, I have a few more songs now. Now I'm hoping to God as we you know you added a few songs no no, we've we've paid we only have a few more songs i did actually add a couple more <laughs> 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 since you've seen it yeah don't tell anybody okay i'm paying for it just yeah, don't tell my yeah, wife yeah yeah um but what i had to do is basically i still pay now i've only got maybe four songs left to pay and i'm done i free 100 percent own this thing outright holy shit! so i i played by the rules i did yeah. not you know, I've not released this film. And your father would have appreciated that. Abs- absolutely. He was a union guy. He yeah. got it. You know what pissed me off? Yeah. And I want to say it now is uh, my dad did a lot of jazz albums. Yeah. It not a lot. I mean, he did what, his own personal jazz albums. And he would said they sold 25 albums, yeah. maybe, all together. Yeah. Um, so one of the labels, and I won't mention names. Okay. You can figure it out sooner or later. I had a bill of $6,000. A bill of $7,500. Yeah and I for s- your dad's music? No, no, no. Okay. No, for a bunch of music yeah, from yeah. this one label. And I went, well, I have 6,000 in the bank. I'm going to pay them 6,000. I said, "Wait, three of those songs you guys have in your catalog from my dad's own personal jazz albums." Uh-huh. Now, again, you got to realize you don't know my dad's al- m- music. Yeah. My mom couldn't probably identify those songs. Yeah. You know, n- unless you're a Tommy Tedesco jazz freak. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you hear it in the background. And I said, do you mind if I get that gratis? Yeah. That record guy tore tore me up, upside down, as if I just insulted his mother. Yeah. And that's when I lost respect for that guy. Yeah. Because that was the one I was like, dude, you could have given me that. Yeah. You know, fine, here. Here's your $1,500 for my dad's music. Yeah. You know, yes, you know, he wrote the songs. Yes, it's an album that you didn't even know you had. Right. You know, but that's the only time I lost respect for, you know. Most, I mean, Herb Alpert's been phenomenal. Um, they've all been phenomenal. I mean, the labels have been, you know, listen, it's hard because I'm not asking and giving them a lot of money. So I'm on the back burner. Most There's a licensing stuff. fee. Yes. So, all right. So, why, why don't we go through? Be, you know, just be because you,
0: you yeah. know I, I don't know if you, you have it at the top of your head or if I could find it necessarily, but you, you know, starting with as far back as you remember, you know, either songs or albums that
1: you had a license for this thing. Oh God! All right. Well, Beach Boys, uh, "Good Vibrations," uh, and they were on the Pet Sound. The whole Pet Sound, yeah. Sound's the whole Pet Sound is basically them because that's when Brian was doing his own thing. There's some fascinating stuff in the doc about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, Brian, well, the thing is, Brian had, you know, and I actually interviewed uh, Dean Torrance with Jan and Dean last month, and he told me how that all came about. Yeah. He said what happened was Jan and Dean were doing their thing. Yeah. Brian Wilson, or the Beach Boys, were their opening act, like on this, one of those, you know, the rock and roll tours. Yeah. So they were doing like, they were like the house band in a sense, and they would play with all these acts coming through. The Beach Boys. The Beach Boys. Yeah. So Jan and Dean did their thing, which was a yeah. doo-wop thing. Yeah. And then- they came short on time or whatever, and then they had to go back out, and Jan and Dean started singing Beach Boy songs with the guys. Yeah. So they had a relationship. Right. All of a sudden, um, Brian gives them, uh, I can't remember the song, Surf and Surf, not Surf and Surf, whatever it was. And Jan and Dean has this huge hit with it, one of Brian's songs. Brian sees, he walks into the studio and sees all these studio musicians, and, and Jan says, Brian, you could do this. You just hire these guys. They just come and they show up and they do your music (laughs) and you walk away. You don't have to have the brothers and all that do it all. (laughs) And so Brian was like, yeah, yeah. And so it was easier for Brian to deal with musicians, yeah, than probably family and also to execute his vision exactly,
0: yeah. Because like you know when they were talking about Brian, all of them, the Carol and your father, it seemed that they were like this kid had something yeah and because they didn't know it,
1: what but it was like he's got something that's different but his
0: arrangements defied
1: their 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 sort of understanding a little yeah. bit and i don't think they knew that until after they heard it uh-huh and that was the weird thing it's not like because you didn't know, oh, right. who was talking about that good vibration was it glenn, glenn campbell? campbell when he first heard it he was like wow what because it would it was all pieced together yeah yeah glenn yeah would, or uh brian was piecing it together and he heard good vibrations on the car radio and he's like oh my god yeah. I had no. no idea. And Leon Russell in the interview I did with him recently, he said Brian would. He's and Leon Russell saying he's the great saying Brian Wilson is one of the greatest guys, greatest composers, composers ever. And that's yeah. coming from Leon. And Leon said. He would go around the room and tell each guy what he wanted to play. Yeah. And he said, by the time he got back to the beginning, the first guy forgot it, but he'd tell him again. Yeah. So you know, he, he had his shit together. Right, right, right. And it was really cool, you know, Leon's praising, you know,
0: Brian. All right, so all that Beach Boy stuff. Now, the Phil right. Spector stuff is another whole catalog of stuff that your
1: dad and those yeah, guys and Phil were Spectre, involved in. And that was, then I had to deal with that over the years because then Phil, you know. Before he got in trouble. Well, this is don't this is way before he got in trouble. I, yeah, you know, to get Phil stuff was going to be impo- hard in itself. But then all of a sudden, Phil kills the girl. Yeah. Now it's like great. No, there's nothing. There's no. And I so was so he trying, had so he had possession of his whole catalog. Yeah. Okay. So and I was always trying to holy get holy shit. So he's still making a fortune. Well, he sold a lot of it off to, to pay get, for the bills. Yeah. But uh, he, um, I was trying to get a hold of. You know, I was trying to get Phil for years to talk know. to you. Yeah. I mean, before all this shit. Yeah you know and Phil was very you know instrumental yeah you know and these guys you know well that you know the, you know the,
0: what was interesting about that is it seemed that Phil that all these guys who come from a you know a, a big band background or yeah. a jazzbo background you know were now involved in you know a, an orchestral Sort of setting, right? That was completely unique to them. That you know, they they all had experience with sitting on a bandstand with twenty guys or fifteen guys or however many. Right. But now there's thirty guys in a room and they're doing popular rock music. Right. So that that you know, I I just it's I guess it's hard to really. I you think know,
1: they just thought of it as any other music. I don't another think gig, were, right? Yeah.
0: But I mean, but at some point, it'd be interesting to know because I know that even when they talked about it, your father and whoever was talking about it, you're like, this guy was running us. You know, it was really about the time and the exhaustion, right. and, and whether they were getting it right or you know, and one guy, yeah. I guess, uh, which guitar? Howard player,
1: Roberts. Howard Roberts was so, like, so, "Fuck this," yeah. and that was because, uh, the, which is interesting, because Phil. Was a frustrated guitar player. He wanted to be a jazz guitar player. Oh, really? That's why he surrounds himself with Howard Roberts, my father, Barney Kessel, uh, Bill Pittman. They're all jazz guitar players in this group, mm. uh-huh. in a sense. Yeah. And so when, in fi- um, Howard. Howard Roberts actually was teaching Phil. Yeah. So now all of a sudden Phil's telling Howard, the greatest jazz guitar player around, to how to play. Howard said, "Fuck you. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I walked. Yeah." And then
0: the other guys were like, that's kind of, uh, well, Well, you don't want to lose our gig. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep going, you know. But but it's interesting. You don't get any sense from any of the people that... Because I didn't see it in the documentary either that, you know, they were such sort of like... um, you know, kind of working class people who had a job that they loved, but you don't get it. You know, there was a couple of moments I think with Carol and Brian
1: Wilson where you get the sense of like, wow, we were really part of something amazing. I think only after years later. Uh huh. Only after you, you know, like I said, I asked all of them. I said, was there any intimidation or were you, you know, by these artists? And they said, no. The only not intimidation, but the time you're ever going to be sh- sh- right on is when you go get that call for Sinatra. Yeah, because you realize. Everybody, these guys are working for Brian, yeah, and all these other guys. They're yeah. kids. Yeah, they're nobody. They're yeah. not hit makers yet. Yeah, yeah no yeah, one's yeah. a hit maker. Well, I mean, before Pet Sounds, they'd had a couple. Yeah, but but it's not really. You know, it I mean, was just gu- it was like bubble gum, bubble gum music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you get a call for Sinatra, that's right. when you call them back to Niagara Falls and say, "Mom, I'm playing with Frank." <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. You know yeah. the Gambino family back there is excited <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you know that kind of like that was the only time you were. They were like, okay. Yeah. But you know, like my father said, he said, Listen, I might have you know, someone said, Don't you think you should have been paid more for let's say adding your arrangements or this and that or those notes and da yeah. da, da. He said, No, he said, you know, I go to work, he says, Don't forget I made hundreds of hits, but I made thousands of bombs. Yeah. He says, I never gave anybody their money back on a yeah, bomb. Right, right, right. It's just what it is. But so but but really that question is don't you think you should have been cut into the publishing money? No, because I think they tried at some point, but I think it's like one of those things where what are you going to do? Hold back on creativity? Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to give that line because you think it's a great line in your act. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because you're giving it to the other guy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's all your, your artists are. You know, they're working together. Hopefully,
0: what, what was this, the, the the riff? Was that was that the Howard thing? Was uh was that Spanish riff? Was that the no, that's my ring? dad's right? Well, what yeah. was that song? What
1: song was that from? Oh, he used to do. Uh, he, the gag was my dad. Oh, would, no, not the gag, but there oh. was like
0: there was a guitar part. Who was talking about oh,
1: it? Oh, oh, that was um, uh, Gary, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. Yeah, Gary
0: Lewis and the Playboys. Oh, right, right, That, right, that Tommy's sure gonna love you. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, Tommy had done this riff and they couldn't play it live on stage, right? Right,
1: because right. <laughs> he, he would, you know, again, you listen to you, that's the difference. You listen to those guys of certain caliber, and you, you've seen it. You, You play guitar, but you know when you see a guitar player that's a monster. Yeah, you go, you put it down. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You go, you you cringe, you thinking about it, and that's what these guys were. Those were the guys, the monsters that would make the other guys cringe. Yeah. So that's why when they might have been pissed off in the studio when they're watching someone else record their parts, but then they realize why they're recording their parts. Right. You understand. Right. And then you found they found a newfound respect for the guys behind the glass. You know, or they made the hit. Now you just got to go service it. Yeah. If you don't service it in the same way, who gives a shit? It's a live show and they're there to see. That's it. And that's what people didn't understand is like, well, how could they play, you know, how could the Beach Boys and all these groups play in concert? had weeks to practice sure and they you know and they just gotta sound sucked yeah could you imagine recording some of those concerts yeah they'd be here forever and torturing us what what's interesting to me in in terms of your experience with this you you know and obviously you
0: know you've got all this music you got the phil Spector stuff what was the frank sinatra thing what did your father's experience with frank oh well
1: you know he did actually work with frank a few times strangers in the night was you know the big one that he did with frank you know that he remembers Uh uh-huh that he was there or that yeah you know was the special one yeah. even though but you know it's funny because Bill Pittman again back to King Salt thought yeah. it was a piece of shit song yeah. and so did Frank Nancy didn't said her dad hated that song yeah. Strangers in the Night which yeah. is really interesting my dad I uh, remember playing a casual and a casual for those that don't know is basically it's like a wedding or whatever right. And he did uh, Frank's Wedding, and I can't remember. It would have been Mia Farrow, maybe? Maybe. It was basically him, his trio. Yeah. Three guys yes. at a dinner party of 10. Oh, really? Could you imagine what that's yeah. like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, working with Frank, you rehearsed all day. Not all day, whatever. You yeah. rehearsed for a few hours. Frank come in, and boom, knock out one, two takes. Yeah, yeah. You know did your father love him yeah. yeah 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 because i think maybe being an italian kid also he said there was no better singer yeah for him yeah you know that was and you talked to those singers of even like you know i've talked to a few people said so that guy's intonation was just forget it yeah yeah it was a natural uh-huh who else did your father like respect um respected uh oh god that's a tough one yeah it's funny because he played with elvis yeah you know um he always loved uh, he liked Sam Cooke yeah he liked Sam Cooke he played with Marvin Gaye but Sam Cooke he thought was he liked him as a better singer I just got a Sam Cooke album I I just saw that that, was that your dad's no no But Hal's on that though and Renee Hall uh, yeah Renee Hall's that's the one with uh oh god what's it called i saw that in your yeah, collection. yeah i just got
0: it i just got it sealed i didn't know it was sealed i yeah. I, I needed a bunch of, i wanted to get a bunch of records a guy gave me a sealed records and i got a collector's item in there and i don't know if i can fucking open it to listen to it oh who cares just open
1: it yeah just listen to it <laughs> yeah, yeah. what you can do
0: yeah i know I make know. ten dollars
1: more yeah you're right like, you're absolutely
0: on. right so like uh all right so that's right i forgot about the sam cook part it's just astounding to me and how blaine you got such a gift with that guy living uh,
1: I, mean, I tell you, man! What a character he is! Uh, outright gone. I mean, he's just he for the a con, drummer. he yeah. but, he's a, but he is the drummer. The drummer. I mean, you had him and Earl Palmer. The difference is Earl is a little older, so Earl comes out of New Orleans with you know um, you know Little Richard that and, groove, and all that yeah. groove, and he and then Hal starts up and when Earl's too busy he starts giving it to Hal then Hal's going and Earl's going and they're doing double drums on Jan and Dean and they're going back you know doing it all together and there's no jealousy that's the greatest thing because there's no jealousy when there's so much work yeah you know, right? And my dad would but do. But they it. must
0: love it when they're in it, the groove and oh, just hitting yeah. it. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to imagine that the, the no matter how much they frame it as like we got jobs, when they're
1: on a groove and they oh, nail yeah. it,
0: they must be like, holy fuck!
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and Hal was on six records of the year. What do you know? Which ones? It would have been. Uh, I uh, know the Captain and Tanil was the, the last, last one. one. That's seven, um, but it would have been uh, Taste of Honey, uh, uh, Up, Up and Away, uh, Aquarius. Um, uh, bridge Over Troubled Water, and, I'm trying, and Mrs. Robinson. Wow, did I nail it? Yeah, I think maybe. so. But like Up, Up, and Away, there's an example of where my father didn't know he was on it. Yeah. And the only reason he knew was Jimmy Webb gave all the guys little charms, like Grammy charms. Yeah. And he said to Hal, what was this for? <laughs> he says, that's that thing we did with Bones and da-da-da, and it was a Fifth Dimension thing we did last year. Because yeah. now you realize you're making <laughs> what's a, this where they do you know, it that well, much? i don't know what this is for <laughs> i don't know i'm on that can you imagine you don't know what you're on because you're working so much working so much but you're also you're only there for three hours they're giving you music you've never heard before yeah no and, one's and ever maybe heard the it. vocal track isn't even on vocal that. tracks not on that oh see yeah. so you're not so all you're playing is some rhythm tracks and yeah. you're laying down the tracks yeah walking away yeah. boom forget yeah. it yeah. months yeah. later comes out you're not listening
0: right you did not oh, see, I didn't even I didn't even factor that in so you're not sitting there going like we're doing a song for the fifth dimension no no you got a three hour session they play, they you, might you, tell
1: you or the, the right. singer might it, be there who
0: doesn't, doesn't matter you put the cans on you, there's a there's a drum there's a bass yeah. and you got your music in yeah. front of you you
1: knock it out and you're yeah. out yeah so they didn't know a lot of times it's funny because sometimes a lot of these guys you know and uh, a lot of these people as I like to say uh, they think they did a lot more shit than they did now as my father said, here's the thing. He says, the people we're talking about, you. Could, they, they, they weren't on the fringes. Yeah. They worked. My dad went to work at 8 o'clock in the morning and sometimes never came home. Yeah. Because if he had a gig at the same studio the next morning, you know what? I'll stay here. I'll sleep in the studio. Yeah. Or they play cards all night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were gamblers. Yeah. yeah. That was their thing. That was their thing. Bad. But uh, but really bad? Yeah. Like what? Lose that house bad? Uh it was bad enough to where it was like he'd bet on anything. That was his it, thing. He, he did anything. It was It could have been. You know. Yeah. And you know, he was just that was his thing. That caused friction at home. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and, and it's funny though when he got when he kind of got sick. He had a stroke. What happened was, and you'll appreciate this for all of us is why I think the film is done so well with audiences. There's different reasons. You all know the music, and that's yeah. easy. That's fifty percent of the story, and yeah. that's piece of cake. Yeah. And this is all by accident. Yeah. There's two things going on in this story. One, it's about a group of musicians, you know, where you were in the thick of it, and you're just kicking ass and nothing's stopping you. And my question to all these guys, what happens when you're not the A-team anymore? When you are, you know, it's like, you know... At that juncture in the late that, 60s. The late 60s yeah. or whatever, whenever it is for anybody. from my dad, it was the late 80s. Yeah. Because he went from 60s records and 70s into TV and film. Yeah, he had a hell of a Huge career had a career in film and stuff like you saw in the- um, Yeah. And, um, and so what happened is I asked Bones how, and these are my two favorite lines, is Bones, the great producer engineer, said, you're like, you're like an athlete. Yeah. You got your 10 years in the yeah. minors or whatever, and, you yeah. got your, and you're at the top- and then you got the ramp down, he says, it's not staying at the top, it's taking yeah. the ramp down as long as possible. Yeah, And that's for all of us, and you don't have to be a comedian, a musician, an actor, you could be a, a, a lawyer, you could be a postman, yeah. we all want to be part of something right. in our society. Right. We just want, to be, we want you relevant, that's the word, thank yeah. you. And that was the thing. And the other question I had about it, and for everybody was, how did all going to work 24 seven affect your personal lives? now how he was married six times yeah you know as he's he, <laughs> one got him though yeah huh? yeah one not one, one got him um poor guy as my father said <laughs> do you remember that line in my father's house as well it affected me per- i had six wives and my father says, yeah but it wasn't because of your drumming it was your personality <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um i so i asked everybody in plaz the johnson the yeah. wonderful Saxman and yeah. a legend, who did the Pink Panther and stuff, he said, and he paused and he said, "You know what? I'm a better grandfather than a father." Yeah. And again, n- if you're a f- parent, you understand instantly because you're trying like hell to make this work, and it's n- never going to make it right. And also, that generation was different. Exactly. I mean, the
0: the the the, the work
1: ethic was like, I just got to provide. The, exactly. The, the other stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it's true. And you know, thank God for my mother. God bless her. I mean, yeah. she kept it together at home. Still around? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. She's she's uh eighty three. You got kids? Yeah, two. How old? uh Isabella's is fifteen, and Raphael's nine. So they didn't know him. No, no. Mm-hmm. But they all they know is Wrecking Crew. <laughs> That's all they know is Daddy does Wrecking Crew, and they're <laughs> sick of it. But
0: <laughs> <So, laughs> well, okay, so let's say you know for you. You know, was you know when your father's dying, you, yeah. when someone has a prolonged cancer, you at least you have time to process, yeah, the grief at the time. I mean, what 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 did this serve uh, your relationship? You know, as he was dying, and then afterwards. I mean, because you I, literally yeah, is, you have a growing relationship with
1: your father. You
0: know, fifteen years after
1: sure. he's dead. Yeah, you know what? I, that's a very that's really I've never been asked that, but it's really interesting. I think what and the thing i'm proudest of and it's not about the movie but the people i've met Uh you know around the country uh guitar players Uh and people that are strangers to me but they met him Uh they met him let's say at a seminar in rochester or Uh they met him in this or you know and they would couldn't say anything the stories that come back of how nice he was or what he did for them uh chuck rainey was a wonderful uh one of the greatest bass players of all time Uh And he told me a story about, and he was in the, you know, rock and roll stuff in this, you know, uh, Steely Dan and all that stuff. And he said, I came to town, he says, in the 70s. I'm the big rock and roll studio guy and I'm on a TV date. Yeah. He says, you know, it's totally different. Yeah. You know, you're a studio musician. Yeah, everybody's a studio musician, quote unquote. Yeah. But you're not until you get to this certain position, you are go, oh, shit, I got to do this. Yeah. Things change. Records yeah. are different than TV. TV's yeah. different than film. Yeah. He says, I'm playing this part and it's an odd time for me on the bass and all of a sudden I have to make a change in the time, bass time. He says, I blow it during rehearsal. "Mm." And he says, so now we're going again. And he says, all of a sudden now we're rolling, it's this TV, you know, they got the projector rolling, everything going, big band. And he says, I blow it. And and all of a sudden your father comes out of nowhere with his guitar and just makes a huge noise. Yeah, (laughs) You know, screws up. I said, Tommy, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. All right, let's do it again. Yeah. And uh, so Chuck says, We go again. He says, They come to that piece again, the measure, and I'm blowing it again. Your father again, bam, even louder, makes an even bigger noise. Tommy, what's up? You know, I'm fine. This is it. Let's do it. Roll back the film. And he turned, he said, Your father turned to me and says, You're on your own now. (laughs) You know, he covered him. (laughs) And now he didn't even know they had never met. Yeah. But he knew he was the new guy. Yeah. And he would protect the new guy. Yeah. You know, and he, and that to me was when they talk about certain. Did the guy of, nail it? No, you know, that's funny you ask because I asked the same thing. Yeah, I said, Chuck, what did you do? He says, I didn't play. He <laughs> says, I let. Out. He says, and and my father afterwards at the break, he says, that's was what you're supposed to do the first time. He says, you. you he says, look around the studio. He, he yelled you're covered. At him. He says, they're all in the line. Everybody's playing. No one's gonna hear you. Yeah. He's just, so he, he was. That was a lesson. He could, you know, and yeah. and it, and that was the thing. He was he protected so many people, and you know, drummers would tell the same thing. The Placido Domingo album, a Latin thing, and the producer was out of hand, and and they, he was getting out of hand. My father said at the break, took him outside. Said, listen, motherfucker, if you don't cool out, we're all leaving. Yeah, you know, he said that's it. Don't talk to these. He had such disrespect for people that talk to musicians badly. Uh And he could do it because he was the older guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, don't talk bad to musicians. And you know, sometimes I you know, and he would the one thing he taught me, don't blow it with the leader. Yeah. If you want to tell off the leader or the producer, whatever you want, that's fine. You could be hundred and twenty percent right, but don't expect to come back tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And and it was and that's kept me going on this project seventeen years. Uh Because those people I wanted to tell off 15 years ago when yeah. they want to give me something well they're back they're still around and they need to help me
0: uh huh uh huh so it's helped so you know. didn't fucking burn any bridges not yet yeah I, I only got a couple more months <laughs> what What about your relationships with the guys that knew your father which I imagine right. became very deep you know through yeah. this process with like Hal Hal and
1: Don Randy you know and Glenn was phenomenal he's an interesting guy Glenn Campbell yeah, huh? and, and very interesting and that was the greatest thing is I, I've the other great thing about doing this doc, when I started it, yeah. it was 17 years ago. And you're like, it's Tommy's kid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm asking questions that yeah. he's never been asked. Who, Tommy? No, uh, Glenn. Right. You know, I'm talking about the days of session players. This is, you know, 15, 10 years ago, whenever it was, before Alzheimer's. He had something going. We knew there was something that when my interview. Oh, he's interview. got Alzheimer's? Oh, big time. Oh, Yeah, really? he's gone. Oh. It's sad. It's very sad. He's stopped touring. He's just... But when I was asking him questions... It was questions that he'd never been asked, uh-huh. and that to him was the greatest time period of his life. Yeah, because he wasn't the leader before he became Be- before a solo he became act. solo. Act. Yeah, you know, the first time he came back from Europe doing a tour or something, he came back and um go through the airport, and someone said, "Hey, Glenn, how's it going?" And going, well, how does everybody know me? Yeah, because that it was the season replacement for the Smothers Brothers, right? So that was that one time, and the Smothers Brothers got canceled, so they just kept him going, yeah. And uh, with Hal Blaine, how to- man, it was back to how the guy, if he wasn't a musician, he would have been a comedian, yeah. You know, he was friends with Lenny Bruce, and yeah. you know, and he, we started in the burlesque, and he comes, yeah, all that absolutely. Stuff. And I mean, you, you know. You go out to no matter what you do, you could go anywhere, something's gonna light up a light bulb for a second, you know yeah. you'd be in a deli, and all of a sudden a deli joke comes out or yeah, this yeah. comes up it's nonstop I don't know how he knows so much so many jokes, yeah, I mean ridiculous, yeah, and he's still all there,
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's
1: there so now so what are we gonna do Denny? what are we right, so wait. so now i basically what I'm doing is I gotta get this thing out distributors wouldn't touch me because it was like you know no one wanted to touch it because of the music now it's all paid for i'm paid for it you know so i'm just hoping to get this thing out there i'm doing fundraisers i'm doing literally i'm doing private screenings i do i've shown this film all around the world well where can people who are listening to this go and help out uh basically go to the website wreckingcrewfilm.com and and, you know if you're a distributor out there why haven't you called you you know i've paid it now let's go um i'm having it's funny. the greatest thing for me was showing this film, yeah, to live audiences, and we've had it as uh, fundraisers for different groups and you know, foster care and different things. And um, I'm proud of the film. I'm really proud of the new cut too that no one's seen. So, and do you do you feel like on some level that you know it sounds like your relationship with your father wasn't
0: horrible? And you no, know, not at all. But do you feel that you have? that that was something compelling you around like not unlike you say your father looked out for the for the new guy and for the musician and for you you know for the respect of of his profession. Yeah. Do you feel like, you know, as a son that, you know, you're sort of, you know, not only carrying it on? A, yeah. Yeah. No, not wow,
1: only- I got goosebumps. You're right. you know what? I never thought of it that that way, but I you know, I just when I think about it, yeah. Because I get really and it's so weird that you said that because I'm just thinking about this. Like, yes, you're right. I do because I have such respect for these m- musicians. Yeah, I've the hardest thing for me is watching. Um, musicians that are so talented. Yeah, or comics that are so talented, or actors that are so talented. It's matter of luck sometimes. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because I've said this. and I, you know, traveling this thing with this film. I only yeah. got a you know briefcase and a film with me, yeah. or a backpack. You know, and I'm doing one-nighters here and there. and go, how the hell do you guys do this shit? Yeah. You know, how do the musicians do it with the gear and the yeah. comics? And, you know, the difference is, you know, hopefully I have, you know, it's a film. It's not as, right. it's passive, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. It's not interactive yeah, like yeah. you have to do it. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine that. Yeah. But it is having the respect. I want them to have the respect in and, and people that know. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you know, and... You know, and my father was, you know, if you ever saw him play live, any of those uh, people out there that saw him play live, you know, he, he go, you know, he's ripping through. And my mom would say, Why are you doing that? I don't know, you know, he'd yeah, be yeah. like, He says it's for the one guitar player in the room, you know. <laughs> the greatest, you know, I got to tell you this funny story is, uh, you know, years ago when I was uh, producing for, I did those Pope Comics things on yeah. Comedy oh, Central. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. What was the angle on Pulp Comics? Pope Comics was doing the stand up and we would cut to, uh film about oh, yeah, yeah. what right, whatever right, that was right, right. so i did margaret show i yeah. did bobcat i did dana gould uh, you were shooting it no i was producing yeah. it Yeah, and i was producing the film parts so my first time was with bobcat and bobcat writes and who's a actually one of the smartest guys I ever he directed for hey, my or eight oh, of my uh, episodes he's amazing yeah i mean it was so cool i mean so it's I go to you know meet with bob can we do all this shit and I'm finding a location. Of course Bobcat writes in a porno store on Van Nuys Boulevard. So I'm going to the porno store and I'm making agreements, you know, you know you know, to shoot there with his crew and his and I give him the guy my card, he goes, Any relation to Tommy? <laughs> and I'm going, God, I hope he's a guitar player. <laughs> Don't tell me my dad shops here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that, those are the kind of and things. Was that, he a guitar player? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but it was one of those things, you know, and that happens a lot. And I'm really, you know, again, those those articles were really popular, and he he told it like it was. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I was. I'm, well, thank you for bringing me the Tommy Tedesco
1: for Guitar Players yeah. Only book.
0: I need this. I need, what is it shortcuts and techniques, sight reading and studio
1: playing and, he, and you know what the drummers tell me they used to <laughs> read that book it had nothing to do but there stories in between that were pretty funny
0: does it teach you how to read music?
1: Yeah, I tried the other day. It still hasn't helped me, but <laughs> I gotta practice. Everybody assumes I can play guitar, but I haven't gotten the third chord down. So, oh, like so in funny.
0: my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna do this.
1: That's what I do all the time. I'm gonna <laughs> learn how to play guitar. I'm 53. <laughs> it might not happen. <laughs> it's got to. I wanted it to be like the the side story of this documentary of
0: you learning how to play guitar. Well, I
1: said to some, one of the friends, you know, a professional. I said, uh, you know, if I did. of or 10% of what I put into this documentary practicing I'd be a hell of a guitar player yeah he said yeah but you'd be out of work like the rest of us yeah uh, but
0: you got your old man's guitars or what yeah
1: there's still a few of them home yeah yeah I still try all right well thanks Danny I really appreciate it it. great thank you
0: all right that's our show folks thank you for listening since Denny and I spoke, I wanted to tell you this. And after 18 years in production, there is finally a distributor that wants to release the film. They're targeting a release date in 2015. So we'll keep in touch with Denny and let you know how that progresses. Go to WTFPod.com and get that app and upgrade to that premium app. Stream all the episodes. Thank you for listening. Watch Marin tonight to watch me uh, relive one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. Thank you for bearing witness. Thank you for being there today. Especially today. Today. I think I unburdened myself. I don't know. The heart's a funny thing. The mind's a funny thing. But, uh, that's about it, though. I don't think there's anything else that uh, I haven't really talked to you guys about. God damn. Life is a fucking trip, man. Boomer lives!